0: tennessee just sounds perfect whether that's live music the crack of a campfire
1: or kids laughing on an adventure
0: to start planning your trip visit tnvacation.com tennessee sounds perfect
2: happy pride from tomboy x we just dropped our pride 24 collection queer founded queer run and creating size and gender inclusive underwear swimwear and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin visit TomboyX.com to shop
0: Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Shout out to our super producer, Mr. Max Williams. <laughs> You're Noel Brown. i have been Bolin. Noel, this is part two of an amazing conversation we have had with the puzzler himself, the legendary author, A.J. Jacobs.
1: Too cool, and I just have to say, uh, I just couldn't even bring it upon myself to believe that he really is a fan of the show, but he's dropping so many deep cuts from, like, episodes that we forgot we even did. Uh, It turns out it's actually the case, and I think we're both beyond flattered because we're huge fans of AJ's work as well, and this conversation went all kinds of fun places, and I think we can probably just join it already in progress.
0: What are some of the... I don't know, we talked about the sociological sort of milieu or environment within which these crazes, good and bad, grow, right? Puzzles can become incredibly popular, witch hunts happen historically, right, when people are looking for some sort of escape, some sort of um, cause that they can blame. And maybe we go back to something you mentioned with jigsaws and the Great Depression. Because at first glance, honestly, it sounds like jigsaws might be a difficult thing for people in the Depression. Money is tight. You have to buy the puzzle, right? Uh you can't I right. I guess you could rent a jigsaw. That's a good. There were jigsaw
3: idea. libraries during the depression. Yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah. Well, just to back up, jigsaws were invented in 1760 by this British map maker named John. Sp- Spilsbury, that he tracks. called, yeah, he called them the uh, dissected maps there you go and and they were meant to be a learning tool so the idea was you know you get your young british aristocrats and they like here's the country that you should colonize and plunder and <laughs> you know that teach them how to carve up the world early oh on Oof. and um but uh it really caught on in the great depression for a couple of reasons partly like you said People needed a distraction and, you know, movies were huge and jigsaws were huge. Also technology, like originally jigsaws were made with a jigsaw. They were made out of wood carving with a jigsaw. Mm -hmm. But then they invented this cookie cutter like machine that could chop down on cardboard and make them really quickly mass produced. So during the Depression, you had these weekly dime jigsaw puzzles and people would line up like a, I don't know, whatever people line up for now, a Billie Eilish concert. And
0: uh,
3: (laughs) so, and, and uh, as with all the other, puzzle crazes you had moral panic you had a preacher who said nero fiddled while rome was burning and we will go down in history as the nation who worked jigsaw puzzles while our country was falling to ruins and amazing cartoons, alarmist uh, uh, I would oh, argue. perhaps yes <laughs> yeah. no it did not fall to no i'm pieces. converted i'm i'm into it now
2: <laughs> <laughs> also nero,
1: isn't nero things? the idea of nero fiddling while rome burns fictitious. almost akin to let them eat cake <laughs> like it's just yes. sort of like a myth like, fictitious created yeah
3: Right, I don't it know. Makes Have a you good covered point, that? I can't I remember don't, whether I, don't, I, don't I think, think it's a, it is. Well, isn't.
0: the pro- the problem with the leaders of the ancient past, whether they be um, whether they be Roman emperors or whether they be Catholic popes, is that the history gets written after their death. Usually by a guy who is terrified of upsetting the current ruler, so mm. they'll, they'll say, "Okay, that guy was terrible," and you know, usually there's a lot of truth to that. But then they'll lean in hard so that they don't get executed.
3: Excellent point. <laughs> Excellent point. And there was even a split um, in the in the jigsaw community during the depression between the, sort of the the rich and the poor, the oh, yeah. powerful and the because the rich and there still are these these fancy artisanal wooden jigsaw puzzles that you can pay thousands of dollars for and they're hand carved and the, one of the famous ones during the depression was called par puzzles and here's a this is a fun i wouldn't maybe not so fun fact but they had all of these high end ones have a um, They have a signature piece, like a a shape that is in every puzzle. Mm. And the shape that Parr went with in the 30s was a swastika. Oh boy! Uh, And that turned out to be not a great choice. So they had to switch to a seahorse. uh, (laughs) I love seahorses here on. They're much yeah. Yeah. Straight seahorse, deeds. Yeah. Uh, we, we we
1: did an episode. We did an episode on, uh, I believe it was just weird dental stuff, and uh, there was a material that uh, dentures were once made out of that was referred to as seahorse teeth. Which, when you read it on paper, it just seems beyond ridiculous because seahorses are so small. Do they even have teeth? But what it was right. referring to actually was hippopotamus teeth. They're referring to them as seahorses, which is a delightful misnomer. I yeah. heard
3: that on this very show. Yeah. That is oh, no
1: gosh. S- Thank you.
3: And also, I made me think, because hippopotamus, I do believe hippo is horse and yeah. potamus is river. It's like or river. Like yeah, yeah, river horse
0: yeah. is what it translates to. And it's there not that far off. Also, if you're around a hippopotamus, leave. Yeah. They <laughs> are the most dangerous uh, land animal that, that is tankerous. not a, yeah, the most dangerous land mammal, right? Shout out to mosquitoes for most dangerous animal or humans. Mm. moving on. So, uh, so, okay. So there are these, there are these bespoke, there's a spectrum of jigsaws then, right? the mass produced ones. And then there's this upper echelon of bespoke hand carved, you know, uh, hardwood, what have yous. And those are probably the ones that the aristocrats are still buying.
3: Right. Yeah. And they had, I mean, there's a wonderful company, um, if you can afford it, which I can't. I is uh, called Stave and they're in Vermont and they make these wooden puzzles. Everyone is different and they have people just carving them in what looks like a huge sewing machine. And Bill Gates is a, is a client and um, and they're 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 thousands of dollars like they are wow. you know they can go up to ten thousand dollars and they're super tricky. The guy who founded them calls himself the Tormentor in Chief because he'll have <laughs> puzzles that they don't they they look like edge pieces but they're not. They don't they have holes in the middle of the puzzle. They have they have pieces from other puzzles intentionally stuck in that don't fit at all just to mess with your what? mind.
0: I'm looking at, a, just, just for uh, reference, uh, Ridiculous Historians, I am looking at stavepuzzles.com. Me too. I am looking at their Hanukkah puzzle right now. Uh, it is 200 pieces. It is $2,395. Oh and just from the picture, it looks kind of simple. I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, well, ah, I could knock this They've one
1: out. got some neat depth to them, but I will say based on uh, the the whole idea of puzzle lending libraries, um, they have a rental program. Oh. Uh, uh, and a timeshare program for their puzzles. <laughs> so that's how you know. Uh, and they have a whole page that disc- that, that explains the difference. So.
3: Uh- <laughs> hilarious yeah that's the i mean they i hope they're not listening because they for the book they lent me like five beautiful puzzles oh wow and i just have not had a chance to return them because uh but i will but i will stay (laughs) we believe
0: you we believe yeah as long as you eventually return it it's fine yeah right
3: and i
0: i I, mm -hmm, yeah i have been borrowing a uh I, i think the statutes passed i have been borrowing a uh uh, encyclopedia from my high school for quite some time now, uh, but I will return it <laughs> at one point when I am done reading it. Oh, <laughs> nicely done, Ben! I
1: don't know if they need it back, Ben. I think the internet has sort of replaced the yeah. encyclopedia. They'll be like those sold door to door, and they were very I loved it. valuable. I loved it was it. a golden oh, time.
0: Say, I had a – I've got an unabridged dictionary, not encyclopedia because that would be in a set, right? Mm, For sure. And that's that's kind of a puzzle too when you think about it. I like what – I guess it goes to what we define as a puzzle. And, um, you know, you talked briefly about the Rubik's Cube, which I don't know about you, Noel, but those are still pretty baffling to me. I can work through it, but I'm constantly – Befuddled and baffled by those
1: speed cubers
0: Mm -mm. who start a thing.
1: And, oh, and then there's there's even more elaborate versions and shapes and mm-hmm. sort of like hexo- like three-dimensional sort of hex- hexagonal versions or whatever. But whenever I think of these three-dimensional puzzles, uh, I don't know about you guys, but my mind always goes back to the Lament Configuration from Clive oh, Barker's Hellraiser, Hellraiser movies. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> right. I'm a little suspicious of these because I'm always afraid they're going to summon these demonic, you know, SM mm-hmm. creatures from hell. But I don't know about you. <laughs> Tell us about 3D puzzles and some of these, like, what's, what's the 15 puzzle and uh, I believe there was a, a a bit of a scandal involved in that one too.
3: Yeah, this was actually this was a spatial puzzle not a this was sort of the Rubik's cube of its time. The 1880s, uh, and it was called. You've actually, I'm sure, seen it. It's the little square with 15 tiles and an empty space, and you have to rearrange the tiles. So it's oh, like, like hey, a cracker yeah. barrel. I've, I've got several. Yes, of these. Yeah, like, like a cracker like, barrel like, like with, with the cheese exactly. exactly. and yeah. So yeah, the This I mean. was huge in the 1880s, and again, it was like a New York Times called a pestilence on our society, and. Uh, and it was invented by a postal worker. But the main character in this craze was a, a huckster. He was like this um, this hoaxer, a huckster named Sam Lloyd. He, Max, it, can we get some, like, huckster, con man music? Yeah.
0: This will sound great in post.
3: <laughs> so he claimed to have invented them, even though he didn't. And he sold millions of them. And he, partly he did it by scamming America. He said that he would pay $1,000, which in 1880... you know something he said anyone who can solve the 15 puzzle from this particular starting arrangement will get a thousand dollars but the the catch was it was rigged there are seven billion initial arrangements of the 15 puzzle and half of them can be solved and half mathematically just cannot be solved so he put them in an impossible arrangement and just Uh... messed with people's minds and, and sold millions of them and uh and that one sort of died out. It's not like crosswords were are still big, but the fifteen puzzle it had a little resurgence when Bobby Fischer, the chess legend sure. and mm-hmm. uh, slightly disturbed personality, they're still he, searching <laughs> for him. There Apparently, you go. Yeah, I, don't know. Well, I think
0: he was searching for himself for a while right. too. Yes,
3: for sanity. He um, he was obsessed with them and solved. Speed solved one on the Johnny Carson show in 1972, and he, like, in 17 seconds. So that chess and 15 puzzles were Bobby Fischer's obsessions. And this this is nuts
0: because we can see, you know, chess requires such a, dare I say, myopic commitment to it. That uh, other puzzles, because chess is a game that is also a puzzle, right? So uh, I think when you get so deep into the world of chess, and I'm cartoonishly bad at that game, when you get so deep into it, then other puzzles seem kind of like elementary. It's like playing a really hard video game, and right. then you go back to solitaire, and you're like, oh, I got this. It's a black eight. It's a red seven nailed
1: it. I guess it all comes down to something called game theory, right? And like, you know, uh, a good puzzle, and to to maybe a question I asked earlier, like what makes one of these really catch on, it needs to be difficult enough to be not so banging your head against a wall, but also difficult enough to like really feel like you have a challenge and that you've succeeded in some small way if you solve it. Uh, Can you just talk a little bit about what you've run into in terms of game theory and like how that sort of intersects with with these And, and to Ben's point like how puzzles now kind of are in the realm of video games in a lot of ways
3: oh yeah some of the greatest puzzles now are video games uh which my kids always argue it's like i'm not wasting time i'm doing but but the um (laughs) but like you said there's a goldilocks zone like it's very easy to make an impossible puzzle uh and it's also easy to make a too easy puzzle so you want it just in the middle
2: happy pride from tomboy x we just dropped our pride 24 collection queer founded queer run and creating size and gender inclusive underwear swimwear and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin visit tomboyx.com to shop
4: <sighs> spring is a time of renewal so why not refresh your home with a little help from blinds.com
0: Right? Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I meant <laughs> I said El
1: Camino and
0: I meant Monte Carlo. I miss it so uh the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running, Totally, but it, it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now,
1: And
0: with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible
3: items only. Exclusions apply. And speaking of chess, there are what are called chess puzzles or chess problems where you set up the... The pieces in a certain way, and you have to get to checkmate in you know five moves. And I actually, for the book, I interviewed Gary Kasparov. Oh, cool! And he he says, "I'm not the best chess. I am. I was the best chess player, but chess puzzles are different. It's a different skill." And he uh, he said, like, there are crazy chess puzzles that not even. The best chess puzzlers can do that require 500 moves. You have to see 500 moves in advance. The only well, only artificial intelligence can solve them. Only computers can solve these. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he, um, but I, but that's speaks to. That's not a fun puzzle unless you're a sentient robot. Maybe you find enjoyment A fun (laughs) puzzle is right in there where it's like five moves and it's surprising. That's what it's like. You have to sacrifice your queen, something surprising and delightful. That to me makes a good puzzle. Got it.
0: I think another good puzzle thing to this point, and this, this brings us to our, our next craze, which may be near and dear to some of our listeners. Uh, one of the other, um, Incredibly like uh, tantalizing things about a good puzzle is you realize that if you shift your perspective, right? If your mind is the piece that moves, then you will see the answer that has already been there the entirety of the time. Which brings us to the great obsession of 1980s America amid, amid a certain demographic, and of course, someone who will always be welcome at conventions and cosplay
3: gatherings. We ask you, AJ, where is Waldo? Where is Waldo? Exactly. He is all over, at least in the 80s. And I loved researching the history of Where's Waldo because there's first of all there's a long history of artists hiding stuff in paintings. So there's one Renaissance painter who's famous for hiding a pickled cucumber in all of his paintings. So I'm sure Freudians, <laughs> have, yeah. yes, he's uh-huh, got something going on. Leonardo da Vinci also hid things in his paintings, not as much as Dan Brown claimed in the Da Vinci Code. You know, I don't think that the Last Supper is is a secret. A clue that Jesus is a proud papa, but I do think that uh, there are legitimate art historians who say there are Easter eggs, and hmm. like, like in the Last Supper, if you look at the arrangement of the rolls, the bread rolls on the table, it looks eerily like um, notes on a, a, in a musical oh, notes, and whoa. and people have played these. Notes and it's actually it's not bad. It sounds cool. like uh, so <laughs> That's cool. so there was that. Little so little known
1: fact, Da Vinci also hid actual penises in many of his paintings. So
3: yeah. <laughs> Is that true in the moment <laughs> well, I you, know, you, you can the, see? The, the,
1: the nudes. You know, <laughs> oh, also, I see, yeah. Carry on, carry
3: Wasn't on. so hard to find those. No. Yeah. Uh, well this uh Speaking of that, I don't know what that segue means. It doesn't matter. Martin Martin <laughs> Hanford perfect. is the British artist who uh, probably has a penis, and he is the one who created the uh, <laughs> well "Where's done. Waldo" in 1987. <laughs>
1: God
3: dang it. <laughs> so smooth. And he actually he had done a couple of Where's Waldo like uh paintings. He did a album cover for a group called The Vapors. I don't know. I had never heard of them. Have Sounds like a that? surf
1: rock situation, perhaps. I, I feel don't know. It what, was, maybe. Yeah.
3: Um and he uh that was a little more adult. That was a scene, a crowd scene, and there was a secret sniper, uh, like hmm. with a rifle, which uh, would not go over with Where's Waldo. But he came out with Where's Waldo in 1987. And uh, this, of course, are these huge scenes, and you have to find the little guy with the red and white striped mm-hmm. sweater and the glasses. And it was um, massive. You know, 40 million copies sold all over the world. And there's um actually... The original was called "Where's Wally"? That's what it was mm. called in in Britain, and Waldo is the American one. And I have a couple of the foreign ones. There is, um, well, maybe you can guess. Where is the Wa ist Walter? Wa yes, yeah. is oh, yeah. German,
1: Germany, German. right? Okay. Also, to jump in real quick, the Vapors are an English new wave and power pop band that exists initially existed between 1978 and 1981. They They cool. had a hit song which was titled Turning Japanese. Which oh, makes- we know Turning oh, Japanese. Oh, yes. I really we think so. Yes. Yeah. 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 The, the, the album cover is neat. I mean, you really can see the Where's Waldo aesthetic, but it is like a crowd scene. But the center is sort of on a grassy knoll situation, and they the the the, the figures are crowded around this like sort of like cadre of um, ambulances because it, it would appear that someone has been shot uh, because you can see in the top corner the Waldo of this painting is in fact a sniper putting away his gun, but the center crowd... Is it makes the shape of an eye and like everything oh, else above right. it. It's really cool. But um, yeah, and yeah, also on this article that I found um, on Unremembered History that shows this, it points out that he was really inspired by a lot of um, cl- classical paintings that are, have these tableaus where there's like a city or a scene, a village, and there's all kinds of stuff going on. People doing all kinds of little things and there's, they're full of Easter eggs, you know.
3: Yeah, yeah, there's some great Easter eggs like Hieronymus Bosch exactly. who like <laughs> it looks like and there I think there is theories that he was uh, uh, like tripping on uh, some hallucinogen that I wouldn't doubt it. those uh, are very, but very they are disturbing. Yeah. yeah,
0: I was able to see some of those in person earlier this year, the the Bosch paintings, and they still don't let you photograph them, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, which I it feels like kind of a rip to me, but I'm sure there are legitimate reasons. Museum restorationists and curators, please. Understand that we've got your back, uh, <laughs> and, and we're um, we're not going to take pictures any longer where we are not supposed to. Because let me tell you, I had to uh, I had to learn <laughs> I had to learn a language pretty quickly with that museum curator when I got when I got caught snapping snapping and snitching with my iPhone, uh, <laughs> which which takes us to another thing. So so where's Waldo? The answer is around the world, but he's using different identities.
3: Is that oh, what yeah. we are Let to take from Oh, yeah. Let me just give this? you one yeah. more. There's um, Finn Holga. Finn Holga is... Uh, I would say... I, Finland, my accent perhaps? is not flawless. What's
1: that? Finland, perhaps, or somewhere in yeah, Scandinavia? Yeah, da- it's Danish. Danish, it's yes, yes, Denmark, yes, yes. Yeah.
3: Um, But can I give you my favorite where's Waldo oh, fact? Oh, please. Is that... It has been consistently on the American Library Association's list of most banned books. And I researched this, and this is not apocryphal. This is because in one beach scene, in one of his books, there's a small illustration of a woman, and she's not wearing a bikini top. (gasps) And some mothers... Got really upset, and and you can't even see like you there's I, there's no actual nipple. You can sort of see a side boob, but because she's lying face down, but it was enough to get banned in several states and make this list. And the publisher had to do, like, an emergency version with, a like, a new bikini top. A collector's
0: so item, and wait yes. till the New York Times finds out about this. I think we're due for another moral panic. Well,
1: <laughs> you know, it's interesting, though. The, the aesthetic of Where's Wall, though, to me, is very European. Like, just the whole vibe of it feels like a book that would be popular in Europe. Um, and, you know, they are much more open about nudity and, and mm. little things. And this, you know, a, a nude sunbather, is something that you would, that would be a normal thing to see in a beach scene. You can only do so many different things and have it be like super crowded. So it makes perfect sense that they would that he would have done that. But, Excellent
3: you
2: point. Know, Yeah,
3: yeah. I don't know. no one in England or in Germany was complaining. about Exactly. The, right. Yeah. Uh,
0: I was going to say famously more chill, but I guess it depends on the era of time <laughs> that we're referring to.
2: Happy Pride from Tomboy X
0: This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite
1: car? Well, yeah. Um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah. I, I just remember. It was my dad's. I, I was a hand-me-down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car. I'd get that car. And I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something, you know? I had a lot of uh,
0: land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac yeah. Bonnevilles. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo?
1: That's what I meant.
0: I meant <laughs> I said El Camino and I meant <laughs>
1: Monte Carlo.
0: I miss it too. Uh the Monte Carlo was tough. I owned a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. But it, it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you
1: recently got a car a few years back now. Oh man. And funny, you should say that that particular perfect fit was the Honda fit, which I love dearly, but Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now. It's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over
0: 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly.
1: Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed
0: to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. So speaking of uh, only having only so many things, uh, we have made this a two-parter and we have to we, ha- we can't talk about every puzzle. Unfortunately, to learn more, you're going to have to read AJ's book, The Puzzler, and tune into The Puzzler podcast. But before we go, fellow ridiculous historians, there's one that I'm sure we've all been waiting for i hope we have i jumped the
1: gun and set up the wrong thing when i was talking about the uh the 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 lament configuration which is sort of this hellish rubik's cube um but this now we're here with uh, the idea of three-dimensional puzzles and specifically rubik's cube being the craze but that wasn't the only example of this type of thing
3: right 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 um Wait, can I just do one last visual puzzle? Because it could be my favorite puzzle ever. It was a few years, about three years ago, the Baltimore Sun printed one of those spot the difference puzzles. Mm -hmm. And it was two pictures. You know, you have to find the difference. And it was a a kid brushing his teeth in his pajamas. And uh, the next day, the best correction in newspaper history had said, we regret to inform you that those two pictures <gasps> were actually identical. Amazing.
0: <laughs> I've those always you've always thought that, right? Like if yeah. you're looking at a very difficult version of those, you've always thought, okay, this is a prank. So that it makes actually makes you feel happened. like you're going
1: insane, is what right. it makes you feel like. Yeah.
3: It wasn't wow. even April Fool's. It was just they messed up and they it was just mistake. Can you imagine the Human, the hours of human waste, you know, wasted. Uh, <laughs> like. Uh, uh, well, because uh,
1: you refuse, your mind refuses to accept that in the moment. You're <laughs> like, no, <laughs> I'm just missing something. <laughs> the pattern and I, I will find it, yeah. damn it. <laughs> I do that's have immense
0: respect though for that the that hypothetical person who is in that rarefied cognitive air the person who not only looked at this extensively but wrote to the Baltimore Sun <laughs> and told them the picture was identical that's a lot of self-confidence oh,
1: yeah that is true that is true <laughs> kind of like the people that leave mean podcast reviews you know <laughs> <laughs> Who are these people and where do you get your chutzpah? But um, yeah, no, no, if we could, though, l- I would love to hear a little bit more about some of these kind of art object type puzzles. You know, I think they're like, uh, I don't know if you saw Glass Onion, the, uh, the yeah well, there was so many cool uh, puzzles that were like these, you know, things, these like things that you interact with that were all crazy bespoke. But to me, in my mind, I always go back to the, the humble Rubik's Cube, but that represents sort of a modernized puzzle you know, plasticified 80s version of something that's very historical, you know, yeah. and that you would have seen in like the Dan Browns of the world's kind of writings. Totally. Like
3: that. Well, well, let me give you a quick Rubik's Cube, and then we'll move to like sort of the advanced Rubik's yeah, Cube. Uh, yeah, yeah, But the Rubik's Cube was invented by Erno Rubik. Uh, mm. He was an architecture teacher in Hungary, and he wanted to use it as a teaching tool. Now, this makes me feel better. It took <laughs> Erno Rubik himself one month to solve his own cube. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: I I only know that because uh, years ago I wrote a show called The Stuff of Genius and we went and looked at inventors Mm -hmm. at the world. And that's one of the facts that that stuck with me. First off, I love it when an invention is named after the guy who actually invented it. You know what I mean? Right. And and I also love, uh, just to get this part in, I also love that uh, that fact that he created something he didn't understand. It that's reminds right. me a little bit of artificial intelligence.
1: Well, I, I was, with. I was going to ask, I mean, it seems to me that, like, you know, I, I would assume that anyone that's creating a puzzle or in designing a game that they're in so like what's the process for that? Like, I would imagine that a lot of cases you're working backwards from the solution, but mm. this is a great example of how maybe that's not always the case.
3: Yeah. He writes about it in his autobiography and uh, I actually found it very inspiring. He talks about how he packed his room with all sorts of just random crap. So like safety pins and buttons and crayons. And it was like a little playground for his mind. And and from that, uh, he eventually came up with the Rubik's Cube that he couldn't solve. Um, and and actually, it was very hard to sell it to a toy company because they were like, this is too hard. No one's going to want to do this. Uh <laughs> And finally, he sold it to the Ideal Toy Company. And they, you know, as you know, it just became a phenomenon. There, there have been uh, about a half a billion of them sold by, by some estimates, Jeez. which is a lot of mm-hmm. Rubik's Cubes. At the height in the 80s, there was a Saturday morning cartoon of a flying crime solving Rubik's cube of course there with was. a theme song by Menudo, Cocaine so was that, a hell of a drug,
0: finally, my friend. <laughs> finally, finally the theme song uh, from Minudo, which is the stamp of authenticity. Exactly. There was
1: a there was a video game in the early 90s that starred the uh, red dot that was the logo for Sprite. And it wore sunglasses and just bounced around and did stuff. So there was a golden age of anthropomorphizing anything in a cartoon. Chester
0: the (laughs) Cheetah had a game at some point, but that was more 90s. And this, uh, this is fascinating, too, because you had pointed out to us that although it's called the Rubik's Cube today, it had a different name right? Originally? Well, it had
3: all sorts of, I mean, before they went with the Rubik's Cube, they were thinking the Gordian Knot, the Inca Gold, the Hungarian Cube, mm. uh, but but Rubik <laughs> is such a great word, and it kind of mm-hmm. rhymes with cube, and and it worked. It took off, and it became a phenomenon, and what's funny is, I interviewed all of these, like, old-school 1980s champions, and first like of cube all... cube
0: vets? Yeah, cube the, cube, the
3: old style, and I mean, it's kind of sad, because Their records, they were all proud, like they got 23 seconds. And they were like, Yeah, that was the first world record, was about 23 seconds. And now the world record is 3.47 seconds.
0: That's insane because you can see these videos on YouTube, right? Right. From these, uh, they're much more frequent than annual now. I'm sure there's an annual world competition, but there are a lot of regional things where these guys do it like one handed, blindfolded. Yeah. They, yeah they look away or they put it behind their back it's just
1: a With their
3: feet that was a that was a, a foot- I meant. I I met the the North American world record holder for the footstep <laughs> for the footstep. Oh, oh, is, so um, is there a
1: is there a like a standard like the way you have like in gambling? Someone takes calipers to your dice and makes sure it's regulation. Like oh, obviously yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's evolved. You know, there's I think there uh, the 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 gears are a lot smoother now. You know, that's probably partially why the times have uh, been so you know uh, decreased. But can you talk talk a little bit about like what 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 are these standards for competitive play in the the modern day Rubik's Cube
3: world. Well, it is hilarious because you talk to the old timers and they have a grudge because like you say, mm-hmm. it's much smoother. There are little mm-hmm. magnets are allowed so that it clicks into place. There's Cube Lube. You can get yeah. lots <laughs> of different like brands of Cube Lube mm-hmm. and uh, and lube up your uh, your Rubik's. But yeah, of course, they're definitely... Um, it has to be mixed up in a certain way, but there is mm-hmm. a little bit of luck involved because it could be mixed up in a way that it only needs like, you know, 14 turns or whatever. Like
0: it lends itself to the algorithm, right? Right.
3: And these these kids, and it's mostly kids, memorize hundreds, of thousands of algorithms uh, because I did it, but I, I did the easy way. Like there's one algorithm for for people like me. But That'll it, eventually get it, you there. Yeah, I know minutes. that one. Yeah, when you say
1: algorithm, like I guess maybe I'm, I'm, I'm sort of maybe miss like not not thinking about that term correctly, but is that just numbers of configurations and possibilities, or what? Can you talk a little bit more about what algorithm means when it comes to solving a Rubik's cube?
3: Sure. In the uh, in the cubing community, as it's called, mm-hmm. it's uh, it's basically a series of moves. So it's twist right, twist up, twist down twist left, and that is an algorithm. So if you have a certain arrangement, then you're going to have to do an algorithm and by memorizing these hundreds of different ones, you can figure out the fastest algorithm. Blast to get through them
1: to... by process of elimination right. almost kind of. Yeah. yeah. Exactly.
0: And it it's kind of like when you read the notation for it, uh, it, it gets to the point where it, it's similar to seeing chess notation mm-hmm. where they're like, this is how you do this. And it's it's more confusing than actually getting there and just playing with the cube spatially. But I'm like UAJ. I had to, I had to say, okay, here's the one I understand. Right. and this this it's will be my game. afternoon. <laughs> <All right. laughs> and this uh, this craze takes over because it follows some of the same things we've learned that make puzzles historically fascinating, right? You do have a feeling of progress. I think that's one thing we have to have to make. We do have the feeling of an answer being right in front of us, but we're part of the puzzle, and we simply need to shift the blocks of our perspective. Mm-hmm. I went a little far on that one but <laughs> but but as as you were saying, uh this is it has maybe not uh reached the older heights of its original craze, but it's still very much a global thing, right?
3: Oh, yeah. Well, it had a second life with YouTube because and again, the old people are like, oh, we had to figure out ourselves. We didn't have YouTube tutorials. But uh, but yeah, these YouTube and and like you said, people who juggle them and and do them underwater. Mm -hmm. You know, it is it is pretty a wonderfully visual uh, medium. And also, like Noel said, it's become uh, artisanal like now people are making their own cubes that are not just cubes that got 12 sides that like, mm-hmm. you know, one in the shape of Michael Jordan. I saw right. one. And, uh, and so people have with 3d printing, they've just become, it's like a golden age for what are, they're called twisty puzzles. Um, twisty puzzles. And, uh, and, the, and Noel brought up that it's not just these twisty puzzles. This is a long tradition of 3d puzzles Uh, Mm -hmm. And perhaps the most famous are puzzle boxes, which is... Isn't that the Hellraiser? Like that the was the lament configuration, yeah. baby. Lament yeah, configuration. all we're back there you go. Yeah, from your exactly. hellbound heart. Right.
1: That's right. Let's huh? right. read it. Can I just uh, a really quick gripe, and then I'll let you continue? Oh, cool. I, I, uh, I, guys, I sometimes am, I fall a victim to Instagram ads for products. It seems to Alex. Speaking of algorithms, and I, I saw this, it w- looked to be a completely workable, manipulatable uh, puzzle box from Hellraiser, and I ordered it, and it came in, and the thing is solid as a rock. Didn't have a single articulating uh. part. Um, oh, but it still looks really cool. But man, on that video, it was like, oh, I want to summon those demons. But yeah, <laughs> the, the the puzzle box. Right. Let's 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 go on.
3: Yeah. The most famous ones are are Japanese puzzle boxes. Right. And, yeah.
1: I've got a few of those. Actually. You
3: do? Mm-hmm. I've got
0: well, I've got like the low end version. Well, know, yeah. Just they can like get get super Pumbles. expensive.
3: They can be thousands, like fifty thousand dollars for like the really high end ones. No, neither do yeah, I. Like
1: like, like <laughs> the box that everyone gets at the beginning of uh, Glass Onion, for example, to be invited to this you know right. getaway meeting of the minds at the uh, the you know the billionaires' island. Everyone gets this crazy box that has to be solved in various ways, and then certain sides of it flip open, and then you twist things, and within it is is a clue or whatever.
3: Right. And, and the traditional one is the Japanese one made of wood and you slide some panels and you have to slide mm-hmm. them in a certain direction and you open yeah. it up. Usually there's nothing in it. And, and sometimes an invitation to an, uh, an Island party, but, but usually it's just like, I want to open this up. And, uh, and they've gotten so elaborate. There's this guy who does them on uh, YouTube and gets millions of hits because he does them live and you get to see him curse and sweat and throw things <laughs> around. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I can't remember his name right now. Maybe Max knows it. Um, but he, uh, but but these things are works of art. They're quite beautiful, and the best of them, like it's not just. Uh, sliding, they get really creative. So you have to spin them. One, one you have to freeze uh, because uh, I don't know Whoa. it releases something. One guy complained. He told me he ordered a puzzle box in December to Massachusetts, and it came solved because it was all about freezing, uh, and it was already <laughs> frozen. So he's like, That's "I amazing. just rip off." Uh, but yeah, these things are they are extraordinary. And and I talked to the the people who do them, and. One of my favorites was this guy named um, Kagan Sound, who's in Colorado, and he made one for the movie director. um, What's the name of the guy who did uh, he did The Whale? He did. uh, Oh, oh, Darren Aronofsky. Darren Aronofsky. He made a desk for Darren Aronofsky that that it was like an Aronofsky film. It took this guy four years to do it, and he said he lost all of his friends. He just stayed in his workshop going insane. Uh, but it's amazing. It's got all of these puzzles. I mean, it's not great if you want to get a stapler out, because like, sure. you know, you have to spend well, not like in two hours. Yeah. <laughs> that is so <laughs> but funny. It really
1: reminds me of Aronofsky's first film, Pie, which is all exactly. about like, you know, just digging into mm-hmm. the secrets of the universe until you go completely mad, you
0: know. Fantastic slapstick comedy, yeah, especially so, for the yeah. holidays. Uh Watch with. With your children so <laughs> maybe do a double I, I, uh, feature
1: with Requiem for a Dream.
3: Oh <laughs> best
0: yes, best man. uh best blind date I ever went on was going to see a, a blind double date uh scene Requiem for a dream and we were running late so we got dinner after it was a very surreal <laughs> moment at Applebee's <laughs> that evening. <laughs> so <laughs> but uh with all this you know this is just the beginning of the story, the world of puzzles is wide and vast. And I think it's not hyperbolic to say that as long as human hardware works the way it does, puzzles will continue to iterate and proliferate in the future. Uh, and, you know, we're a ridiculous history show, but AJ, I, I think we have to ask you here at the end of the week— what do you do? You, what do you think the future of puzzles is? Is there a world where it's just AI making puzzles for each other and they just solve those?
3: <laughs> well, I think I mean AI can be used to make puzzles that are interesting and creative. Uh, I'm hoping that we can collaborate with AI and that they won't yes. take over all the puzzle making themselves. And in fact, on the Puzzler show, we have like an AI. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's uh, called like um, what's guess the GPT Chat GPT prompt. So we give you what Chat GPT said, and and you have to guess. But I do think we are still in the golden age of puzzles. Like there are so many people now doing so much creative work in puzzles that I. I'm optimistic. And again, like, you know, I'm an evangelist, so I don't think it's, I don't agree with the New York Times that it's the end of civilization and that it's <laughs> a, a waste of time and and we're going to ignore our kids. I think it's actually at its best, it's like community building. Like the, um, I saw the guy, Wor- Josh Wordle, W-A-R-D-E-L-E, who <laughs> he invented Wordle. And I saw him speak at the Crossword Puzzle Convention and he, his argument is, yeah, it's, it brings people together. Like it's a very almost, uh, you know, like Kumbaya uh, message. He talked about he gets letters from a gay man who reconciled with his conservative Christian mother by doing Wordle. Uh, oh, so wow. it's, Yeah, it's these nice little stories about uh, puzzles bring us together. Well, That's funny, uh,
1: too, because they are somewhat... Ideologically, um, agnostic kind of, you know, there is a certain common ground to them where you're sort of just trying to solve a goal. And I'm mean, surely there are themed puzzles that, you know, could have some sort of whatever leaning, but in general, wouldn't you say they are kind of like an even playing field in terms of that kind of stuff?
3: Absolutely, and it depends on the type of puzzle, as you say. Like you know, I think Sudoku is is pretty even. There's a. It's been actually fascinating to watch the politics of crossword puzzles, because there was a few years ago there was uh, a movement, a lot of crossword uh, makers of of color and women cross sci- they sent a petition to the New York Times saying it was it was too white and male. The clues and the makers were too white and male and and they've actually changed like the New York Times mm-hmm. it had an mm-hmm. impact the, they hired some editors who were uh, people of color. so so it depends on the type there are that it can get political like everything, but it can also I I do think that something like a puzzle box is uh is accessible to anyone well and I, mm. I just
1: wanted to give you a quick recommendation since you have kids and you're interested in video games and it sounded like you you know think there is some potential and creativity and you know puzzles in the video game realm um we are in kind of this golden age of like indie game designs and like you know with steam and various you know nine ten dollar games you can get that they're out there you know to to be had there's a game called cocoon um mm. that is a purely, just puzzle game, but it's beautifully designed. It's incredibly interactive and and kind of trippy. Uh, and I think you and your kids would really dig it.
0: I love it. Do, do you guys remember Mist with a Y? Yeah,
1: it's got this. Oh, this actually has Mist, design Mist wise Mist qualities to it. But it's it's yeah. yes, what a cool game that was.
0: Yeah, if you haven't played Myst, it's a a nice, chill point and click. And I'm with you guys. I love games that are not, you know, super high adrenaline busters. You know, they're just like, hey, let's lay back and investigate, (laughs) point and click. Uh, And with this, folks, we have to tell you, uh, we are calling it a day, but please do go to your browser, your mobile thingamajig of choice, and point and click on uh, the Puzzler, which is, as you said, AJ, a daily show coming out with such luminary guests such as Michael Ian Black, Roy Wood Jr. I think our palo Fira Eisenberg has been on there, as well as, uh, gosh, it's a cavalcade of folks. We can't name them all, but we can tell you uh, each episode brings unique new, and fascinating puzzles with the world-class expert on them. Uh, AJ, where can people learn more about your work? Because uh, you've done much,
3: much more than uh, just puzzled well, over puzzles. Very, well, first of all, the other luminaries include Ben and soon-to-come uh Noel. You're so very I'm very excited you, about that. And, thank, I mean, this is a dream. I love your podcast. So it is like... It's very weird to be on a podcast you love. It is. Thank you for not
1: stopping at it's very weird. <laughs> very weird to do. I do just want to say, though, we, we had intended to do two different topics. And I may have even set it up weirdly uh, where I said that one of them was an intersection with a very recent episode that we did. And, um, I hope that we can maybe even just go ahead and do it before the holidays, you know, get you back and do this other one um, that I, is sort I, of about I'm puzzles available. and ciphers and all of this kind of stuff. Because uh, this one ended up being more than we would normally fit into a single episode so we just split it, but uh we'd love to get that one on the books too. All right, or at done. least January. Yeah, end
0: of 23.3, or
1: we'll kick off 2024 with
0: more puzzles. Uh No spoilers, folks, but the next time AJ returns, we're going to be talking about a particularly great game. Oh my gosh, that's too much. <laughs> so much. <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning in, folks. Thanks as always to our super producer, Mr. Max Williams. Thanks to the one and only legendary author and now podcaster, AJ Jacobs. Noel. Who else? Oh, you know what? We gotta get Jonathan Strickland, aka the Quister, to get his act together. That's right. The Quister now. and the Puzzler.
1: That's too oh, much. I it's mean, too much. No, man, but he's gonna him. we we that's right. We gotta get him in before the end of the year. So I know so he's in building right now. Oh, yeah, Jesus I Christ! Well, I, I, I can don't sen- say his name too many times. People show up. Now <laughs> like no, no, I'm glad that I'm not in the building. Uh, but we do want to thank though uh, Alex Williams, who in fact is Max's brother, who composed our theme, which is definitely playing right now. Uh, Christopher Sciotos and Eve's Jeff Coates here in spirit. Ben, thank you. AJ, but once again, thank you. It was an absolute pleasure, and I uh, look forward to having you back soon, and also uh, getting in that hot seat.
3: Yeah, yeah. I can't wait. I can't wait. We'll be gentle. We'll be gentle.
1: I appreciate. Puzzle away. We'll see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
2: Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year